Hello and welcome to Giant Mess, a sloppy sports and entertainment talk show that covers everything from the New York Giants and New York Mets to movies, TV, comedy, and a whole lot more. It's hosted by a giant mess. That's me, the real cinch, Neil Lynch. I'm an Irish, Italian, American. I graduated from a Catholic high school, but isn't Catholic. And then I earned a couple of overpriced degrees. I'm a college known for using doctors and lacrosse players. And I had those two options on a silver platter. And I said, get that shit out of my face. I want to be in debt for the rest of my life. And I hate hooking up with women. Instead, I like to tell stories. They're mostly cringeworthy, uh, mostly TMI. But... If I can get just a one giggle out of that little body of yours, do my job. You can leave a voicemail. Probably won't hear it because I think I, I think the line got canceled or something. Google really needs that number, apparently. 862-248-1986. It's the last time the New York football giants and the New York baseball Mets won the championship in the same year. I was five. Believe it or not, I was. Subscribe to Giant Mess on YouTube. You can search for Giant Mess, Real Cinch, Neil Lynch, and then you gotta use some detective skills. Use your brain, all right? We only use 8% of our brain. You have to use about 10% for that one. You can follow me on the official blog, neillynch.com. You can go on facebook.com slash giantmess. Real Cinch on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you just subscribe to Giant Mess on any and all podcast platforms. Could be Apple, could be Spotify, if you use Spotify. We'll recap Mets Old Timers Day. We'll look at what's going on with the Mets in terms of their series against the Rockies, their upcoming series against the Dodgers. And what can, we, what can we expect down the stretch? And that P word, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, I don't want to jinx it, but the P word is right around the bend. How are, we, how are we set up there for a run? And then we'll finish with the Giants, New York Football Giants, and uh, their last preseason game against the New York Football Jets. Reactions, the Tyrod Taylor injury, rumors of OBJ possibly returning. What's going on with Darius Slayton? Is he a lock to make the roster? Is Kenny Frickin' Galladay, our top free agent signing of 2021. <laughs> Gonna make the roster. Oh my god. So with that, let's get it started up in here. Let's talk Mets. Mets Old Timers Day was Saturday. They haven't had an Old Timers Day. This is the first one since 1994, which I don't even, I mean, I was 14 when that happened, and I don't remember that at all. So it's good that uh, Uncle Stevie, Steve Cohen, has brought back Old Timers Day. He did it right, just like he did Keith Hernandez's retirement ceremony, right? Just like he's done just about everything right as a Mets owner, correcting the past sins of past owners. Uh, you had Ray Knight saying, I love the Mets, but I don't like the Wilpons, which is pretty much a unanimous consensus among all Mets fans. It, it, but it's still, it just, well, if you're the Wilpons, do you, I guess you don't give a shit, but like, goddamn, what was the point of owning the Mets? What was the point of that for the Wilpons? It was just, just to make money. I guess that's what most own. I guess, yeah, I guess most owners, owners of teams, that's what they want to do. They just want to make a lot of money, I guess. But like you can see the difference between an owner who just wants to make money and an owner who actually loves the fucking team and bought them because he loves them so much. It's like a, if a fan, which he is, bought a team. And I feel like that's how 
every team should be owned. I mean, you know, I live in a fantasy world. I don't know if you picked up on this yet, but I live in a fantasy world where it's like, wouldn't it be great if that's constantly what I'm, what's going through my mind? Wouldn't it be great if every team owner had to be a fan of the team he owned? Meaning you have to pass an extensive test, a quiz of sorts, you know, an assessment to, to, and you have to get a certain score of your, on your fanhood in order to, it's like, it's great. Oh, great. You got the cash. Great. And you got the loans. Great. And you have the accounts. Great. You have the collateral. Great. Who in the 1986 World Series hit the game winning home run game Saturday night. Um, so Ray Knight said that and everyone was like, yeah, duh. Like, yeah, totally. We're all on board with that. And if you're the, I mean, if you're the Wilpons, are you just like, man, you really didn't do it right, huh? Like all those years, all those opportunities to do it right. And we just constantly did it wrong. <laughs> and everyone hates us. Like you can't name a single person that's like, oh man, I love what the Wilpons did with the Mets. Really? They really knocked it out of the park. Pun intended. So uh, there was a, I mean, I don't know if I necessarily agreed with Willie Mays getting his number retired, but it's just, I guess, the honorable thing to do, you know? Mrs. Payson, who was the owner of the Mets back in the early 70s, promised Willie Mays that if he came and signed with the Mets that they would retire his number. So like after he was done playing, which is a kind of a crazy promise. No, I mean, I, I don't see anyone having that take. And I'm sure people have that thought, but don't want to voice it because it is such a beautiful moment. That's just I can't not address that. Like, I just need like, I'm the devil's advocate. I'm the one who wants to see everything from all the perspectives. And it's like, the guy played for the New York Giants for, I don't know, five, six years. And then the rest, most of the rest of his career in the San Francisco Giants, 58 to 71, 70, and then 72, 73, played with the Mets. And he played 100 and some odd games um, and did well. I mean, he, t he helped the team go to the 73 World Series, which is great. He was an all-star in 73, though he only played 66 games, which this is why I think the all-star game and the all-star, if you were an all-star, it doesn't mean shit dude and I, I i would love to see like a guy and i i think it's gonna happen a guy who goes and uh, has like a 10-year 15-year career 20-year career and is an all-star every freaking year but his numbers aren't hall of fame worthy and i think that at that point you gotta be like all right maybe the all-star we like all-star is like the last least important thing that you can be even the pro bowl it's like they play the pro bowl at the end of the season but pro bowl voting ends like early I think it doesn't go the entire season. I don't think I could be wrong about that. So yeah, All-Star played 66 games and his numbers were not like through the roof, but you know, he did play for the Mets and he was, you know, in year 30 of <laughs> playing and is a legend. So I understand all that. And this is not, I'm not saying this is the case. Couldn't you picture like Mrs. Payson? I, when I think of a, an owner or uh, an owner or an owner's wife or a female owner. Two things happen that go through my head. We talked about Ricky Bobby before. Uh, Molly Shannon, her character, who's like Dennett's right-hand man's wife, just being constantly sauced and uh, <laughs> lost in the sauce and drunk. Like I picture that type of person or I picture uh, the female owner from Major League who is like, you know, didn't even give a shit about the team and just wanted to the team do so poorly to sell it or to move it to another area that is a little more lucrative and not Cleveland. <laughs> or I think about, you know, so it's like those kind of 
personalities or characters that I think of when I think of a female owner. Again, so sexist. But like I think of Mrs. Payson as like this very, um, you know, obviously rich person, like pearl necklace, hair done up all the time, looking immaculate, like beautiful dresses and thousand dollar shoes and you know just like just the the definition of wealth but also with that wealth comes you know you can drink your face off basically i think is the moral of that story and so i can i just picture her like you know she's at somewhere where willie mays is like at a restaurant she comes up and she's like willie if you come play for the mets i'm gonna retire a number all right, I'm gonna desire number. That's a that's a promise. You you can put in the books. Like I, that's how I pictured that going down. And Willie's like, for real? And she's like, you shake my hand, my where's bond? You shake my hand, this is gonna happen. <laughs> and it was a drunken handshake. And then Steve Cohen's like, I mean, this is uh, you know, they must uh, something. I guess Willie May's family must have been on them nonstop because Mrs. Payson uh, promised this, but then she passed away. So then it's like the, you know, the Willie's, Willie Mays family is like, uh, that whole number retirement thing, was that like not going to happen? And, and so it never, it, it never happened. And then, I mean, Steve Cohen, I mean, that is a deep cut, dude, to go back to 73 and keep a promise. That is more of, is this, uh, that was more of a, and, and people, other people have said this, but that, that is a signal to anyone at that Mets old timers game. That like we are never gonna forget about you. You're part of Mets lore and history forever and ever and ever. You are always welcome here. You are always welcome to be at the ballpark. You're always welcome to be in the clubhouse. You're always welcome. And if we can retire Willie Mays' number, a guy who played here like less than two seasons, odds are we could look into retiring your number. And I know there were a lot of people who were saying that uh, Daryl Strawberry's number should have been retired, which I didn't catch the old timers uh, day game live because I could only subject my daughter through so much sports. I mean, Sunday was uh, I, I tested the limits of my daughter's patience with sports. Um, but so I watched it back on, on YouTube today and it was like, I, I feel like I saw every player except strawberry. i saw, I saw him just kind of around, but he didn't play and I don't think he was announced. So it was, it was interesting. And a lot of people were like surprised that you'd go with Willie Mays first before Daryl strawberry, but I got it. You got to think that this is going to be like a yearly thing now, you know, um, where it's going to be like, all right, we did Keith this year. We're going to do Daryl next year. We'll do, I don't know about Alfonso, but you do David Wright maybe the year after that. You know, like, you know, we're just going to, we're just going to, we're not going to have any numbers left. (laughs) Everyone's going to have their number retired. But were there any surprises from Mets Old Timers Day? I mean, to me, I had a smile, a shit-eating grin the entire time I was watching that game. Because it was like, these guys look so bad, but I love it because it lets me know because I'm so used to seeing them in their prime at the peak of their game, the top of their game, you know, really at the like exhibiting just such physical prowess. And then now to see them where like they're falling over trying to catch a pop up or they can't get to a ground ball or like, you know, they you know, kind of lightheartedly jog over after a ball in the gap or, you know, it just it's just it's just it just makes me smile because it's like, all right, we're all human. Age aging is a thing. You know, we're not we're all human. We're not infallible. And, uh, you know, it was just, uh, that's Steve Dillon though. Holy crap, dude. This guy pitched for Casey Stengel in the sixties and he's out there still 
humming and throwing strikes. God bless him. That was cool. That was cool to watch. Like throwing strikes, not, I mean, he wasn't like lollipopping it up there either. Left, a left-hander, looks like he was in really good shape. I gotta find out how old this dude is. He's got, I mean, it was 50 some odd years ago where he was coming out of the pen for 79, dude. 79. I'm lucky if I make it to 83. That's my expected age when I uh, move on up to the east side. And I can't imagine throwing a baseball. I can't even throw a baseball now without breaking every bone and ligament and whatever in my body. I couldn't even drive on the way home from Block Island because of I threw a football a half a dozen times. <laughs> So yeah, that was good to see Steve Dillon. Kevin Elster. No one has said this yet. I don't think that was Kevin Elster. I don't believe that's Kevin Elster. I just, I think that's, did not look like Kevin Elster. It looked like, like Bobby Valentine came out with the fake mustache when they announced him when they were doing the lineup announcements, you know, before the game. He's wearing the fake mustache and everyone's laughing. Kevin Elster pulled a Bobby Valentine in real life, like on the field. I don't think that was Kevin Elster. It looked like he was, what, he was 20 or 21 and 86, 36 years ago. So he's probably like 57 now, closer to 60. Did not look like he was almost 60. Looked like he was in the, the best shape of his life, but also like long kind of like mullet black hair with like a black goatee and like sunglasses. I, it looks like he was wearing a disguise. So uh, hot take, conspiracy theory. I don't think Kevin Elster... <laughs> was on that field in uniform. I think that was someone else. So, okay. Uh, good to see Benny Abiani. Good to see Sid Fernandez. Good to see everyone. Rico Bronia was one of my favorite Mets when I was, uh, those during, I guess the beginning of the dark years, 92, 93, 94 maybe. Rico Bronia was like my favorite player other than Todd Humley, uh, who was there. You got Robin Ventura, Alfonso, Andy Chavez. Looks like he could still play. Of course, there was all these, there's all these weird like half joking articles and speculation that Bartolo Colon was trying to petition the Mets to be signed to their bullpen or something like that. Get back on the roster. And then it's like, but then you gave up a hit to like Steve Henderson or whoever, like some 70 year old dude got a hit off you, dude. So I don't know. Maybe not in the cards for you, big sexy. Piazza still looks good, but it's like you forget that he's, you know, he's in his 50s. He's got to be in his, yeah. 50s mid 50s now looks great then you see like a pop-up that he would normally get to and it's like it just kind of almost falls over trying to get it billy wagner looked good glennon rush made an appearance turk wendell doc gooden gave us a, a couple pitches it's good to see hojo in the mix that was one that was my favorite player growing up mr 3030 uh keith was announced and rom was announced but i don't see i didn't see them play at all and it was interesting to to, to see like mike hampton gets introduced in like crickets and is like okay cool <laughs> and then they in introduce andy chavez and he gets like a standing ovation just uh, insane um it is amazing though like how many different mets were also yankees like joe tory was part of this mets old timer day i was like okay he k like he played for the mets for a little bit but then he managed during like a son of sam season where it was like 76 to 81 or something like that where the mets were just not great at all it was like lee mazzilli's heyday which mazzilli was part of the part of the rotation 
on the team and Cleon Jones. I mean, like uh, the list goes on and on. It was just, I just, I just smiled the whole time I was watching it. Seeing John Franco, Al Leiter, like David Cohn, you know, it's just a lot of guys that it's got to be interesting because some of these guys like Hampton were there for just a cup, like essentially a cup of coffee in their long careers, but like they're always be remembered. And they were talking about, we got to believe, you know, that's like I said, this is a sign, a gesture from Steve Cohen being like, this is why you play for the Mets. You can play for 30 some odd other franchises or whatever, and you might be able to do something great for those other franchises. But will they remember you like the Mets do? Probably not. And there are a bunch of players on the the field today that, like Josh Tolley, he didn't do really much of anything in his career, but he caught Johan Santana's no-hitter, and so like he's part of the the experience. Um, like Robin Ventura is, is had a, an illustrious career and he's like Mr. Grand Slam single like Todd Pratt like played for other teams and but he's known as the guy who you know hit the home run off Randy Johnson in the NLDS to send him to the NLCS like just little things like that just moments in time where if you had a clutch memorable play in the playoffs for the Mets you're invited to Mets old timers day <laughs> so crazy but such a great time I'm glad they did it so and then the and then the Mets uh, ended up winning that game that day on Saturday. They had the walk off on Friday, which Pete Alonso is now on pace to break the record for most game winning RBIs in a season. And I'm gonna the the top the two top guys Willie Mays actually might be one of the players, but the two top guys are well known. Can't remember who they are, but they're well known like Hall of Fame players. And then the third dude is play for the Orioles and I have no idea what his story is um but uh you know a lot of people wanted the Mets to sweep the Rockies and they didn't they lost on Sunday uh even though Scherzer gave put up a gem uh, one of his best outings of the year um but three or four ain't bad you know a, a lot of the doomsday type prophecies coming from a certain sect of Mets fans about how you know this is the beginning of the end like this is how the collapse happens like we get too cozy or comfortable and then you know both Atlanta and Philly go on a run like they've been in a run and I don't know I have I have good I uh, it's it's tempered cautious optimism I guess is the word you know I could very easily see us starting to drop games against bad teams and in, in, as we enter September it just feels like, you know, this wouldn't this be appropriate for the team to take their foot off the gas and to lose sight of everything that's going on and kind of astro project themselves into the playoffs. And I don't think Buck will allow that. I think if you had Louis Rojas as your manager, first of all, I don't think you'd be in the position you're in now in first place. <laughs> But even if he somehow miraculously got them to that place, I don't think he would have the kind of experience to steer them in the right direction and to help them maintain that focus. So we couldn't have asked for a better manager in Buck Showalter moving forward. But why am I optimistic moving forward? Slumps are slumps. They happen here and there. Lindor was red hot since the All-Star break, so he's bound to come back down to earth. I guess the same could be said for Nimmo. And Alonzo went cold, snapped his bat, which was uh, just what he needed because now he's back to He's he's on fire again and carrying the offense. So you you gotta th- expect that Nimmo would be act. I mean, Canna has been on fire, so maybe he comes back down to earth. But then you know you have someone up, someone else step up. So I mean, McNeil has been Mister Consistent for for a long time. I know that right around the All Star break or after the All Star break, he had the he had the kid. So that's gotta impact and affect your health and your happiness and your stamina, your energy, your enthusiasm, all that. So. 
now he's got his mojo back and he's uh he looks like he's gonna be kind of the catalyst for us moving forward you know it doesn't seem like he's gonna be as streaky as some of the, the other guys in the lineup escobar's kind of back Beatty's meh ever since the home run he's he's he got a couple more hits against colorado which is nice he's hitting the shit out of the ball i mean the the exit velocity on hit the the bats and the balls in play are like 109 110 like He's ripping the ball. It's just not finding grass. It's finding glove. But why am I optimistic? Because I feel like you're going to get people back from injury. Tyler Tyler McGill is going to come back. He's going to go in the bullpen. David Peterson has shown that he could actually be a starter possibly above a guy or two in a rotation, but I think he's going to be a stalwart in the bullpen. So now you're looking at that's plus two in the bullpen. For all the people saying like, oh, we didn't do enough shit at the at the trade deadline to bolster the bullpen. Well, maybe this is why, because we have an, uh, an abundance of talent in the, in the pitching position. And you got to imagine that like, if we do make the P word, if we do make the playoffs, are we going to carry five starters in the playoffs? I don't think that's typical, right? Normally you'd go with three or four starters and sometimes you go with two or three starters. So like your fourth or fifth guy, your fourth and fifth guy, or even your third guy are available out of the bullpen. So that means Taiwan Walker, possibly Carlos Carrasco is coming back, coming back from injury sooner than expected. I don't know that you would you would put Bassett in the bullpen, but you know, you're looking at DeGrom Scherzer, Bassett, Carrasco, Walker. Are you going to have all five start in a playoff series? Who is the most trustworthy of those five? I think, you know, it's DeGrom Scherzer. Bassett would be the most consistent, although Carrasco was pitching really well um, of late. He had an ERA under two. But Walker, if you throw out like the one bad inning that Walker ultimately has every outing, he's like, better than Bass and Carrasco. It's just he has that one shitty inning per outing that really screws him. So you got to imagine that probably Walker goes to the bullpen. So all this talk about how like, oh, we can't rely on Michael Gibbons and Jolie Rodriguez and all these guys were, were trotting out of the bullpen that probably can't hold their their own in a in a high leverage situation, even though apparently Michael Gibbons is like lights out in high leverage and stinks in low leverage. You have to imagine that we're going to have a much beefier, bigger, better, harder, stronger, faster bullpen once the playoffs roll around. Um, So that's why I'm not incredibly worried. And I think Beatty's going to settle in more. I think he's still finding his way in a lot of respects. But, you know, I am really love what's going on with this ball club. Like Vogelbach, Ruff, Naquin, Canna, Nimmo, Marte, McNeil, Giorme's going to come back. We got Escobar coming back in the mix. Beatty, Alonzo. Lindor. The only real problem area other than bullpen, which I think is going to get addressed once we hit uh, the postseason, is catcher. And it's like Nito's back from the COVID list, which is great, but it's not like he's an offensive juggernaut. He leads the league in like bunt sacrifice bunts. And McCann hasn't, you know, McCann just hasn't produced and uh, it doesn't look like he's, I don't know what to think with him. You know, if he has more and more pitchers opting for Nito, it's less playing time for him. So, and then I guess Alvarez, the the top catching prospect, he got a ankle injury or something like that. So I don't know if he's going to come up when rosters expand. But next up is the Dodgers, and then I don't I don't know beyond that. I know we're all done with the Phillies. Pretty good record against them. Tuesday, which is tomorrow, which by the time you hear this, it might be in the past. They're going to move forward with this freaking. Live performance from Timmy Trumpets doing uh, the Narco song by Blaster Jacks or whatever the hell the name of the band is. Brad Diaz, if he has a close opportunity, comes in from the bullpen. A live performance, which pretty sure that's never been done. 
I think, uh, you know, we got to believe they said there was a live performance from Metallica of Enter Sandman for Mariano Rivera, but it was on Mariano Rivera Day, a day honoring the closer, the greatest closer of all time. So that makes sense. And I don't even think it was during the game. It was like before the game. So um, this could really blow up in our face or it could be an all time moment. Seeing as how the Dodgers don't freaking lose, I think it's going to probably backfire. But maybe this is what it takes for us to get over the hump and for people to get on get on the bandwagon and hop on and, and know that we're going uh, all gas, no brakes to borrow a, a Jets ugh, slogan. So, I, you know, I'd be happy with a split. I'd be happy with winning the series, obviously. The last thing we want is to get run out of town, like blown out. And uh, we'll see. I mean, this is the test. This is going to be probably the biggest test that we have in the remaining schedule, although we do face... So after this, we get the Nats, so that should be a series win, right? The Pirates, that should be a series win. The Marlins, that should be a series win. The Cubs, that should be a series win. Pirates, series win. I'd say the Brewers maybe is our next biggest test. Then you got the A's, the Marlins, and then uh, the Braves and the Nats. So... It's really the Brave series and the Brewers series after this Dodgers series that might give us the most trouble. Again, if we if we really just maintain, 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 you cannot look past any of these opponents, but you also have to, it's, it's like just take care of business. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business everywhere. And that's what you got to do. So three games set, so we can't split it, you idiot deal. Can't split it. Uh, two or three would be nice. Sweep would be even better. If we take one of three and we have an opportunity to win a second and it's a close third loss, I think if we play them close, it'll be a confidence boost. I mean, this is a team that is just like, the Dodgers are not real right now, what they're doing. It's just insane. Do they even have 40 losses yet? No, they're 89 and 38. Holy fuck, dude. I mean, it's not even September and they have almost 90 wins. They're going to have 90 wins. Jesus. Eight and two in their last 10. Of course, the Cardinals uh, also are uh, rising, not rising from the dead, but the Cardinals are doing what they do, which is when the shit gets real, they turn it up a notch and now they're like looking like they might be something, somebody to worry about. Oh boy. God damn the freaking Cardinals, dude. Go away. So tired of them. So tired. Be nice if they if the Brewers can just like oust them. That'd be sweet. There's some people talking about uh they don't have it here. But if the Padres somehow make the playoffs and we'd have to face them early on, that that could be an issue. <sighs> damn. Yeah, right now we're the two, so we wouldn't have the bye. And we would have to face the Padres as of right now. And we do not play well against the Padres for whatever reason. The Cardinals would face... I know, it's the Cardinals would face the Padres. That's right. The Cardinals would face the Padres. The Braves would face the Phillies. And then we'd face the winner of the Cardinals-Padres, I think. Can I get a real bracket? Oh my god, dude. There we are. Come to Papa. Come to Papa. And a girl. Nope, that's not what I want. You son of a bitch. <laughs> anyway. I mean, you know, we're starting to get into talks about who would the Mets ra rather face, you know, right off the bat. Not the Padres, apparently. We'd love to face the Phillies. Ugh. We'd love to face the Phillies. Don't think we would love to face the Braves. 
But I don't know that the Cardinals are a team you want to face in the playoffs either because they've always the Cardinals. Like if you look at the Cardinals postseason history or just their franchise history, they always just kind of win enough games to get in the playoffs and then they run the table. They're like never picked to win, but they always just handle their business. Either win the division, make sure they just get into the playoffs, and then dominate, and then take over. I mean, since since 96, they're just, they're just, I mean, they've only missed the playoffs one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten times in the last, what is that, 16 years? No. Oh my God, Neil, learn how to read a book. 22 years. Lost in the NLCS. Lost in the NLCS. Lost in the NLDS. Lost in the NLCS. Lost World Series. Lost in NLCS. One World Series. Lost in NLDS. One World Series. Lost in NLCS. Lost World Series. Lost in NLCS. Lost in NLDS. Lost in NLCS. Lost all color black cards. So at least they've kind of, I don't know. They're still a scary team, dude. Because they're just, people just forget about them. That they're just, they're just winners. I mean, you look at some of these records that they've had. It's not anything that crazy. I mean, they were 88 and 74 in 2012. Lost in the NLC. Yes. 83 and 78 in 2006, the year we should have won the World Series, they won the World Series. That one hurts the most. <laughs> that one kills. 88 and 74 and 96, they went, they lost in the NLCS. So it's like they kind of just do enough in the regular season to get in, and then and then that's that. Oh brother. Fucking Cardinals, man. Pain in my rectum. So yeah. That's the Mets. I think I think we're gonna come out. I think the that that showing we put up against the Rockies was an illusion. I think that was something where it was like they they must have expected that they were going to win, and so they might have just like took their eyes off the prize. I don't know. Maybe the Rockies had something to prove. Maybe the Rockies were like, "Fuck this noise. This team thinks they're they're hot shit. We're gonna bring them back down to earth." I don't know. But this Dodgers series is gonna be a good indicator good indication of what we're dealing with because i mean they're the they're they are the team to beat but same thing we're talking about the cardinals not having a great regular season and going and dominating in the playoffs and and making deep runs couldn't you see this happening to the dodgers where they pull a 2001 mariners type thing where it's like they win 120 games in the regular season and then they lose in the in the divisional or something like that it just seems like they are they are set it they're it's they're set up a little too well to fail massively in colossal fashion so that's kind of my uh premature predictions for the playoffs like the dodgers they're going to go and win like a record n- number of games in the regular season. And then they're going to enter the postseason and then they're going to get shocked and awed. So we can talk about the Giants now. Giants played their final preseason game against the Jets. I guess the Jets were the home team. The Giants were the away team, whatever. Rod Taylor gets hurt. He's injured. Um, I don't even know the full details of that, but that sucks. I know that really sucks because it was nice to have him as a backup. I know he did throw a pretty bad interception i could see if if you look from the the angle from behind him where he was going with the ball he just didn't put enough air under it i guess so he didn't look that great it sucks to lose him because i don't know that davis webb is really despite all the numbers that he's putting up in the preseason against third and fourth stringers and people who won't be in the nfl come the regular season uh i just don't think davis webb is uh, a legitimate backup quarterback and so i'm hoping that tyrod taylor injury isn't too bad we did sign Tanner Hudson, a tight end. I think they released Jordan Akins. The tight end room is a fucking disaster at this point. I think the, you know, I got a feel for Daniel Jones because it's like you don't really have dependable tight ends. Your wide receiver 
group. I know I said this last week, but like the wide receiver group is huge question marks all across up and down, left and right. We don't know what to expect from Kadarius Tony or Kennedy Galladay or Sterling Shepard or Wandale Robinson or even Darius Slayton. There are rumors that Darius Slayton could get traded. And there's also reports that he wouldn't be surprised if he got cut. What? I mean, like that to me, and, may, and uh, you know, I have a tendency to overreact and overthink and all that uh, great stuff that comes with me and my personality. Shit, dude, that kind of gets scary. Like you wouldn't be surprised if you're cut. You led the team in reset and in, in reset and receiving yards two years in a row, three years in a row. I think, or it would have been three years in a row if they, if you were used more in 2021 last year. So, you know, lots of talent, quick speed guy, big play Slayton. And now it's like, he's going to get cut. Like uh, we have to at least trade him. I mean, this smells like James Bradbury all over again. Like, okay. There was some talk about how James Bradbury, like we can't afford his salary, but then let's, let's trade his ass. Let's get something for him. I don't care what it is. Just get something for him. Don't just cut him and then we cut him. And it seems like we're going that same way with Slayton where they're just going to cut him. It's like, I don't even know if we're really saving that much money if we cut him. And now it's like Kenny Galladay's spot on the roster is in jeopardy. (laughs) What the fuck is going on with this receiving core? I've never seen a more precarious receiving group since maybe the 90s. when we had like Danny Cannell was our quarterback and like our our W... Our wide receiver one was Chris Callaway. Like, that's how, like, Amani Toomer rookie year type receiving core. Thomas Lewis, this is your make or break here. I don't know what's going on. I need a fucking haircut big time, dude. My hair is just a disaster. I can't grow long hair. I look I look ridiculous. As ridiculous as the New York Giants wide receiving core. Wow. It's the, And now there's rumors about OBJ possibly coming back to the team. And it's like... At this point, if you can sign him for whatever, you know, whatever wasn't his contract prior to <laughs> this year, you know, like, sure, why not? I mean, fifth, for Kenny Galladay's stats, Jordan Raynon tweeted this out. Kenny Galladay played 51 snaps in the preseason, something like that. One catch, six yards. And hey, man, you get it. It's preseason training camp. You're, you're the, you're the top dog. Your wide receiver won. No one's threatening your, your job security. You, They'd be fools to cut you because you'd have a dead cap of like $1,700 million. There's no way they're going to cut me. And if they trade me, they're going to have to absorb so much of their contract, it won't be worth it. So I'm just going to fucking lollygag my ass all over the field. Because who cares? I don't fit in this system. They don't like me. I don't like them. I don't know. That's just like the perception I have. You know, the big video, viral video with Kenny Galladay this week is him like, not blocking a D-back on an RPO, which apparently, according to Bobby Skinner, is not that big a deal because the running back is supposed to go inside the numbers or the seam and the running back decide to bounce outside, whatever. All I know is there's a humongous spotlight on Kenny Dalde, and it is bright as fuck. And so far, he is withering and and melting under that heat because, like, Daniel Jones is not throwing to him. (laughs) Just straight up not throwing to him. Wondale Robinson, he had a, what was it, a sweep, jet sweep, or like a reverse or something in the Jets game. He got tackled. I thought I thought he exploded. I thought he looked like the bird that got hit by Randy Johnson. And then later, and then you saw Antonio Williams get rocked on a, a, by Quan Alexander, and someone said it looked like Sonic after he gets hit and he, all the coins go everywhere. Like, Wondale Robinson... I just can't see him making it through a full season. 5'8", 170-something, which I think is generous. 
he's not going to be taking many hits. So he's a question mark. You have no idea what you're getting with Sterling Shepard. None of these guys have been on the field. Is Kadarius Tony still on the team? Like, it's just it's just insane. I, I've never had more doubt team than the 2022 New York Giants going into the season. And that and that's coming from a guy who saw our, our receiving core disintegrate before one of the seasons. Was it 2020 or 2019? I think it was 2019, where it was just like, we just, and that's why Darius Slayton got so much playing times because all our receivers like just fucking spontaneously combusted in, in preseason. I have more faith faith in that receiving core in 2019 than I do in the 2022 receiving core. It's just, what the fuck? I, and maybe this is all a major ruse. It's all just like a a magician's act, you know, and it's just a con and, and they're just playing all of us for fools and they know media are some clowns. And so the media are going to blow the, all this crap out of proportion. We're going to feed the media all this like smokescreen nonsense to throw them off and to have opponents think that we're this garbage, garbage squad. And then we're going to come out and we're going to dominate. And it's like, I hope that's the case, but it hasn't looked that way so far. So we'll see. I guess the, the cut down to the 53-man roster is Wednesday, the 30th. So we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens. I know that I, and this is what's got to suck for a lot of players in, in preseason and training camp is that you could put on a fucking show. I mean, you can put on an absolute show. Do everything you can, everything in your power, game-changing plays in the preseason, and you still will be on the practice squad. <laughs> Just like... Fuck. Alex Bachman, right? He, I, Someone said that he leads the NFL in receiving yards and receptions in the preseason. He's not going to make the 53-man roster. Austin Calitro, is he even on this depth chart? He's fourth in line at middle linebacker behind Blake Martinez, Carter Coughlin, Mika McFadden, and, and then it's Austin Calitro. Calitro has a pick, two picks? And a fumble recovery? I mean, he's he he's constantly around the ball, and he has the ball. Darian Beavers is hurt. I mean, I honestly, at this point, from what I've seen, don't you think Calitro should be above McFadden and Coughlin? I mean, I watched, there was a stretch run play, and I know it's just one play, where Coughlin's a uh, middle linebacker, and he just gets caught up in the wash. I mean, he was supposed to, I mean, everyone did their part, I think. Everyone plugged a hole. And then along the defensive line, and they allowed a lane for Coughlin to come up and make the hit, and he was nowhere to be found. Got sealed off. So I don't know. I'm kind of down on on Coughlin, and it's like Cam Brown is just like this special teams guy. Okay, kind of over special teams after the whole ju- <laughs> the whole judge fiasco. But like, yeah, I think it's it's hard to come away. Some I saw someone on Reddit say we're going 12 and five this year, and it's like. Ugh. I mean, you're starting wide receivers right now. Galladay, Robinson, Tony. We have not seen all three of them on the field yet. I haven't, at least not in the preseason games, maybe at training camp, but I don't know. I haven't seen those three on the field at the same time at all. Slayton apparently is on the trading block or could be cut. And then you have Richie James, who is battling with CJ Board to return kicks and punts. Colin Johnson towards Achilles. He's done for the year, you know? Daniel Bellinger is our starting tight end, which is uh, interesting. Jordan Akins, I don't think, is on the team anymore. Ricky Seals Jr. is on IR. Like Andre Miller has a pretty bad injury, I believe. And so that's why they brought in, brought in Tanner Hudson. I finally got to see Matt Breida, Matt Breida. And I, only, I think I only saw him on like one or two carries. Gary Brightwell looked pretty decent. He kind of gives me like Paul Perkins vibes a little bit. And I was in love with Antonio Williams. And then he got 
fucking smoked and coughed the ball up. So, I mean, I don't know. It's the weird thing about this is like you just don't see a lot of these names on the field in preseason. So you have no idea how they're going to jive once the regular season starts. You know, Taman Fox is another one. Taman, Toman Fox, where like he's made some really impressive plays in the preseason. He's not even going to make, he might make the practice squad. And it seems like there's a lot of talk about how they're going to keep seven wide receivers, which is preposterous, but they kind of have to. Ojolari's hurt. I, I know there are a lot of people that want Quincy Roche to make the team over Roche and Zimitis. I, I think a bunch of people are saying that they're going to wait until the the cuts are made on Wednesday to swoop in and pick up like a cornerback, a tight end, and I don't know what else. Linebacker, maybe. They definitely need someone in the secondary. They definitely need a tight end, something like that. But it's hard to have a lot of confidence in them right now. It really is. Because even though they, they went 2-1, they probably could have gone 3-0 in the preseason. I don't know how much that means. It just means that maybe you have quality depth. But it's it's hard when literally from the second quarter on in most of these games, you're watching guys, the majority of the guys in the game are not going to be on the roster. So how the fuck are you supposed to judge a team by the preseason? You can't. You shouldn't. And the fact that I have not seen all the starters on the field at the same time, I think maybe there was one series and it led to a field goal and it was against backups. Like, that's not great. So it's just why I'm cautious, cautiously optimistic with the Mets, knowing that we full well, uh, you know, my Mets flashbacks, those trips that we take as Mets fans, the trauma that we've suffered in the past come back to, comes back to haunt us. Where It's like, oh, flashbacks, sweaty flashbacks cold sweats. I think uh, this is, you know, like everyone's been saying, this is this is a team that is more in line with the 86 Mets than the 06 Mets or the 07 or 08 Mets. And But there are now comparisons being made to the 88 Mets, who were probably should have won the World Series and ended up losing to the Dodgers in the NLCS, thanks to Oral freaking Hershiser. I don't I don't know what else to say about the Giants. I just wish I do think Saquon's gonna have a good year. I do. But it's gonna th- th- these next was it two weeks? Two weeks we gotta wait and then go to Tennessee and you know go up against a team that's been to the playoffs multiple years in a row and that has had Super Bowl aspirations. I don't know where they're at now. I know that Malik Willis looks pretty cool. He looks like a good quarterback. He had a sick throw, sidearm throw in the most recent preseason game. So I wouldn't be shocked if he at some point takes over for Tannehill at quarterback this season. A lot of pressure on Tannehill to step up and uh, perform, especially with, I guess, AG, AJ Brown gone. No more Julio Jones. So, but... <laughs> Man, oh man. This is one of those... I, I, I've never gone into a season like this before. A giant season like this. I'm usually like, we've got all our ducks in a row. I know exactly who's going to be on offense. I know exactly who's going to be on defense. I have the highest of expectations for all of them. All 53 players. And this year, it's like, I, I have no idea what to expect. And so far, I'm leaning towards a negative outlook, which is very unusual. I don't think I've had a negative outlook for a season since, I mean, even after 2013, where we got off to like an 0-8 start or something like that, we ended up 7-9. and I was like, that's huge. We're going to take the momentum right into 2014. And we're going to take it right to the playoffs. And, you know, it's like wild card. And of course, they sucked in 2014, but uh, but then it was the emergence of OBJ. And I was like, well, we have something cooking on offense. We just need to fix the defense. And then we drafted Landon Collins. And I was like, fuck yeah. And we drafted Eric Flowers. And I was like, we're addressing the O-line. And we got, you know, all these things happen. And it just, it makes you 
feel a lot better about being a fan going into the season. And then, you know, I mean, the only, even after the, tw- the debacle that was the 2017 season, where it was like, you know, uh, McAdoo loses the clubhouse and everyone's like, it's full on mutiny and people are getting injured left and right. It was like, okay, well, we brought in a new coach and a new defensive coordinator and a new system. And it's, and it's new and it's fresh and it's da da da. Why am I not getting that same feeling with Dable? It's very weird. Like, by all accounts, Joe Shane is an upgrade from Dave Gettleman. And by all accounts, Brian Dable is an upgrade from Joe Judge. So, how come I don't have the same level of fervor for the season that I did with fucking Pat Shermer? <laughs> Like, what? What is, I just, I don't know. Something's not clicking for me. It just feels off. You, they say to trust your gut. And and maybe I'm pulling a George Costanza where it's like literally just the opposite. I should, it's the opposite of what I think and do and say is what I should do and say. And so, and then that's what's going to happen for the Giants. I don't know. But we have plenty of time to freaking think about it. Two weeks, two weeks. And man, wouldn't it be nice if we came out and Wink puts on a goddamn three-ring circus on the Tennessee Titans, <laughs> just blitzing from the fucking rafters, <laughs> you know? That would be sweet. That would be nice. And then the offense, I, I i mean, apparently there was some stat I saw where it was like that we passed more than any other team in the preseason, but we allowed the, we had the lowest, one of the lowest sack rates, which is great. But again, that's the fucking backups. It's the backup of the backups that are not even going to make the freaking team against backups of the backups that are not going to make the freaking team. So it's kind of like you can't there. It's almost a moot point to try and judge the team based on the preseason unless you're at the practices. And that's why we all lean on the media, some clowns to relay what they're seeing at practice and in training camp you know, not in the preseason games. And they've been kind of down on a lot of what's been happening. So I hope they prove me wrong big time. Big time hope they prove me wrong. The schedule is somewhat in our favor, I guess. But how much can that change, you know? How many times have you seen a strength of schedule be like, oh, it's the easiest in the league. And then it ends up being like everyone's fucking, you know, decided to turn on the Jets that year. Not turn on the Jets. Decided to go boss level, boss mode on, on everyone's asses. So... All right, that's a six episode. I don't know what to freaking tell you. We'll probably next week have a Block Island recap uh, with ball game and monster. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to get into. My friend who was talking about played ball with a ball game at Fairfield College Football. Tours bicep. So I don't know. We would normally play Bush Lit, but I don't know. Look like Bush Lit's in the cards this time. And I can't wait to be physically superior. Although I shouldn't say that. I'm not even physically. like Even with a bum wing, this guy is still a superhero and better than me in every way. All right. It's time to sign off. Good night. Talk to you next week. Adios, muchachos.